0: From the Aspen Institute, this is Aspen Ideas To Go. I'm Trisha Johnson. Each week you'll hear compelling talks from the Aspen Ideas Festival and other events presented by the Aspen Institute. Aaron Sorkin is a screenwriter and producer. His screenplays include Moneyball, A Few Good Men, and Charlie Wilson's War. He won an Oscar for The Social Network, a fictionalized portrayal of the founders of Facebook. Television audiences know Sorkin for the award-winning political drama, The West Wing, and the HBO series, The Newsroom. His latest project is the new movie, Steve Jobs, which he adapted from the biography by Walter Isaacson. Full disclosure, Isaacson is president and CEO of the Aspen Institute. David Brooks is one of America's most prominent political commentators and an op-ed columnist for The New York Times. He also writes frequently about culture and social sciences. Brooks is the best-selling author of four books, most recently, The Road to Character. Here are Aaron Sorkin and David Brooks.
1: Okay. Hey. It's a pleasure to get you out of Hollywood and into the
2: real America. Welcome to Aspen, Colorado. It's, uh, it's great to be here. I do want to say thank you. To, uh, to the Aspen Institute, to Walter Isaacson, um, uh, uh, who's sitting here, to all of you uh, for coming and especially, uh, it's a big deal for me to share a stage with David Brooks. Okay, thank um, you. I ju- just want to mention that I just got into town a couple of hours ago and this is my first time in Aspen. It's beautiful here, but uh, there's not enough oxygen to support life. <laughs> so I don't know what's going to happen
1: now. <laughs> We're going to do the rest on a stairmaster machine. <laughs> right. um, so we're going to talk about character and hopefully mostly how Aaron develops character. So I'm just going to do, the first question is just walk me through pick a character, do you do you write like a short story about them? Do you write prose about them before you do dialogue?
2: Do they come from real people? How how does a character actually come about in your mind? I don't do those things uh, that you just mentioned. Other people do, and uh, uh, it's important to note that there is no one way to do it. Everybody uh, does it differently. For me, uh, rather than kind of tell the audience uh, uh, who a character is, I like to show the audience what a character wants, Uh, uh, and it, it, it all boils down to intention and obstacle. Somebody wants something, something standing in their way of getting it. Uh, it, they, they want the girl, they want the money, they want to get to Philadelphia. Uh, uh, it doesn't matter. But they have to want it bad. If they can meet it, uh, uh, that's mm-hmm. even better. Something formidable uh, is standing in their way and the tactics that that character uses uh, to overcome the obstacle is going to define uh, uh, who, who the character is. It's, it's like having a Christmas tree and then hanging ornaments on it.
1: So pick a, I mean, just pick a character. We're probably familiar with most of your characters. and. Describe the desire. The desire comes before all the other demographic
2: qualities, or by, by desire you mean intention? The intention, yeah, A- absolutely. It, it's when you say demographic qualities, I, I think that what you're thinking of is characteristics. Um, uh, and that's a He's little good. bit more like Mr. Potato Head, um, <laughs> uh, uh, where you have the thing and I'll give it big arms and little ears and, and a hat or a no mustache, a mustache, that kind of thing. And that is uh, absolutely comes last if it comes at all. Um, uh, the, what a character wants and how they go about getting it, how they go about overcoming the obstacle is what's going to define that character. Mm-hmm. I just point out, Toy Story did okay with Mr. Potato Head. They did. Yeah. Uh, uh, they did. But um, uh, if you look at the characters in uh, uh, in Toy Story, uh, beginning with Woody uh, on down, um, they had one big desire, which was to to be there for Andy. Andy was right. the uh, the name of the yeah. uh, the kid, right? Um, uh, uh, to fulfill their essence. Uh, uh, as a toy, which is to make a kid uh, happy, and, uh, uh, you know, a ton of obstacles were were thrown at them and uh, and their characters were defined by how they overcame them. Do you think, I mean, just as you look around
1: the world, do you think that kind of intensity of intention is normal in people you meet, or is it something that you write dramatic stories about? Uh, That's
2: a great question. Let me... Let me answer it this way and let me know if I didn't answer your question uh, um, when I'm done. The properties of people and the properties of character have almost nothing to do with each other. Hmm. Uh, uh, They really don't. I know it seems like they do um, because we we look alike, uh, uh, (laughs) uh, characters and people. Uh, But people don't speak in dialogue. Their lives don't unfold in a series of scenes that form uh, a, a narrative arc. Uh, the rules of drama are, uh, are really very much a, a separate from, uh, from what we know, uh, from the, like I said, the properties of life. Is that true of Shakespeare? It's, a, I would think, especially true of Shakespeare, you know, people don't rhyme.
1: They did in Lower Manhattan, maybe not in <laughs> Scarsdale. <laughs>
2: I like um uh, listen I, I tend to write very romantically and idealistically, uh, so the characters that I write are going to be kind of quixotic uh, and um, uh, they're they're gonna they're gonna fail a lot and fall a lot but uh uh you know there's there's a romance in uh in in trying for honorable things
1: yeah. no so you mentioned that are, are... Do you consider you do you have a moral purpose? Are you trying to improve the world or or see the world? I'm really glad you asked. Uh, I, I really
2: am because uh, one out of seven. Go ahead. <laughs> I think because of the, uh, uh, the 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 way I write and some of the subjects uh, uh, that I write about, uh, whether something is taking place at the White House or something is taking place in a newsroom. Um, uh, that uh, it, it would be easy uh, to look at that and feel like I'm, uh, I'm trying to give you a lecture on here's how things should be done. If, if everybody just lived the way I wanted them uh, to live, lived the way these characters are showing uh, as an example, then uh, we'd all be better off. That, that isn't on my mind at all uh, when I'm writing. I, I, I have no agenda. I certainly don't have a political uh, agenda. Here's the, I do. Here's the only political agenda I, I've ever had. W- when I was uh, in s- 11 years old, um, I had a crush on a girl in my sixth grade class named Jenny Lavin, and she was volunteering after school at the local McGovern campaign headquarters, and so I thought it would be a good idea if I did too. And uh, One Sunday, they, they put us all in a bunch of buses and vans and uh, took us over to White Plains, which is the county seat in Westchester where, where I grew up, uh, because the Nixon campaign motorcade was driving through. and. Uh, We were going to hold up signs that said McGovern for president. Uh, And that's what I was doing when a 143-year-old woman came up from behind me, grabbed the sign out of my hand, whacked me over the head with it, threw it on the ground, and stomped on it. My only political agenda has been the slim hope that that woman is still alive and that I'm driving her out of her mind. (laughs)
1: Have you stalked Jenny Levin on Facebook?
2: <laughs> uh, uh, believe it or not, I'm, I'm not on Facebook. Oh, um, really? Uh, yeah, I, I was for, the, uh, uh, for a brief period while I was writing the movie, while I was writing The Social Network. Why not? Um, and then... Uh, why not? Uh, I, I don't have a good reason not to be. I just don't have a, 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 a good reason to be. I, I, I don't know why not. I, I, you were I, trying Jenny Levin, crazy. Mm, <laughs> um, uh, listen, you're you're right. I wouldn't mind knowing what Jenny Lavin was up to. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> okay. uh, Walter, you uh, got a uh, phone? <laughs> <Why not? laughs> I, honest to God, I'm not looking to hit on Jenny Lavin. We all have our Jenny Lavin. Yeah.
1: Um. She's a big producer in Hollywood. She's got a (laughs) stoplight on your next project. Uh, So talk to us, you know, you're famous for dialogue. Mm -hmm. At what point does the dialogue come in?
2: Well, it's the last thing. Um, When I'm asked, for instance, um, uh, uh, how long does it take you to write uh, a movie? Uh, The answer is uh, actually a couple of years. Um, But uh, most of that doesn't look like what a passerby would say was writing. Um, It it looks a lot like me lying on my couch or watching ESPN. Uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) But uh, what I'm doing is, again, I worship at the altar of intention and obstacle. uh, And I'm I'm trying to I'm just loading up on what those things are, Um, uh, uh, what is the intention and obstacle, and that's the that's the drive shaft of the car. And once you've built that, then you can start to do the fun things that you like to do. For me, that's dialogue. Um, uh, I I really enjoy dialogue because. My parents took me to see plays starting from when I was very little. Like I said, I, I grew up uh, first in Manhattan and then in a suburb of uh, New York called Scar- called Scarsdale. Um, and uh, my parents uh, took me to see plays starting from when I was very little. And oftentimes they took me to see plays that I was way too young to possibly understand. Like, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? When I was nine. Um, <laughs> and I. Did not understand what was happening on stage, but I loved the sound of dialogue. It sounded like music to me, and I wanted to imitate uh, that sound. Um, so now, uh, it, story for me, plot is is a real weakness. Um, uh, I I consider plot to be kind of a necessary intrusion on what I really want to do, uh, uh, which is write dialogue. But I can't write dialogue unless uh, uh, unless there's a plot. So um, uh, I will kind of get myself as, as loaded up as I can on, um, uh, who, 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 you know, who wants what and what's standing in their way. Just two people uh, in a room who disagree. They can disagree on the correct time of day, um, uh, but, but they, they have to disagree. And then once I have that, uh, go ahead and write. And for instance, uh, uh, with the social network, I had like uh, the first third, um, uh, in my head. And I, I frequently, in fact, al- always uh, um, start without, before I know how it's going to end. Uh, uh, really, I wish I knew how it was going to end but uh, I just can't wait that long I have to get started <laughs> um, and, and I hope it comes to me uh, along the way so I had about the first third and I definitely had the first scene which uh, it's a very simple scene it takes place in a bar on a college campus um, uh, and, and two students one of whom is Mark Zuckerberg uh, um, are, uh, who, who have dated a couple of times they're breaking up uh, and that's the scene and when I f- finally sat down to, to write it uh, it uh, it occurred to me for the first time, and it, it had been about a year leading up to that, of, of thinking and going and visiting the final clubs at Harvard and uh, uh, talking to, the uh, spending a lot of time with the the Winklevoss twins and uh, that kind of thing. And, um, uh, when I finally sat down to write that first scene, it occurred to me that these two characters were much were at least a little bit younger than, they were younger than any characters I had ever written before. And that uh, suddenly I had to make them sound young and, uh, uh, and, and like they're young today um, uh, in the 21st century. And I, I think I maybe wrote six lines before I said, this is just god-awful. Uh, they're gonna have to talk the same way everybody talks in everything <laughs> that, uh, that I ever do, uh, uh, and, and they did. Um, uh, <laughs> Uh, my, uh, the, the characters I write don't really distinguish themselves by the, by the way they talk. Yeah.
1: So when you write that scene's famous, he gives that Boston University speech, which is a... a which I and
2: so- I, I, do, I apologize to... I I've, I've spent the last four years apologizing <laughs> to anyone who, who went to BU. My sister went to BU. It's a fine <laughs> school. It was the right line to write in
1: that. <laughs> I didn't know your sister went to BU. Wow. You yeah, I- should have chosen BC. Uh, 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 But so when you write a great line, you know, you want me on the wall, you need me on the Mm -hmm. wall, do you
2: know right there, this is a really good line? Uh, I know when I write a line that I like, uh, uh, you know, when it musically, uh, uh, it it feels right. And uh, again, you know, what the words sound like are as important to me as, as what they mean. Um, uh, uh, so, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I know if I've, you know, kind of got it going on, uh, if, if I'm in a groove, uh, I, I don't know, you know, that, you know, we're going to be saying you can't handle the truth uh, however many years <laughs> <that you> now. <can. laughs> yeah. uh,
1: now, when you, do you think this is, you know, you've been doing this now for, I don't know, a couple decades. Do you think it's changed the way you see the world when you're in conversation with people? Are you... Are you
2: at work? Are you more observant than you had if you'd been doing something else? Yeah, definitely. Um, Definitely, I am less. I I am more. It's more observant is a nice way of saying it. I am less uh, in the actual moment than I am trying to use whatever this moment (laughs) is to help myself uh, 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 at at work. And, And again, it's because of that that year, that year and a half you know, spent on the couch or watching uh, uh, ESPN. I, first of all, I'm always terrified that I, I have written every word I know, you know, and, and in every order uh, uh, <laughs> that, that you can put it. I am haunted, uh, seriously, by the fact that, you know, that's like everybody, I have, you know, I have a dictionary uh, uh, at home, we all own a dictionary, um, and I'm haunted by the fact that in that dictionary on my shelf is the best play ever written. If I can just pick the right words and put them in the right order, it's already there, um, uh, and I just need to crack the code. And so basically, I'm—I'm—it's it, hard to get me 100% present in a moment. I'm—I'm I'm usually thinking about this this thing that I'm having trouble writing, or uh, if I'm if I'm in the middle of doing serious television, uh, uh, that's the worst because you always have a term paper due. Right. Um, uh, so, uh, uh, so the answer is when I'm having a conversation with somebody, I'm, uh, I'm hoping they're going to help me out somehow. Uh, frequently, um, if I'm really stuck, uh, I'll go out into a, like a, a public place, a diner, a bus stop, uh, any place where you might overhear uh, a conversation and hope that I can land in the middle of a conversation that will get me thinking how in the world did this, what in the world was the beginning of this conversation? Uh, and I'll try to write that. Um, I, and so I was, I was in a, a diner once um, and just overheard somebody, I mean, they were really frustrated saying, I mean, honestly, how many people can you think of named Gordon? <laughs> um, and I thought, let me get out of here, I'm going to write the rest of this scene, I'm going to write the beginning of this scene. Um, uh, I, I, I was in Jackson, Mississippi um, uh, and passed by a park bench um, and uh, 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 two men were sitting there and one of them said, who that they're going to get the jump on Jesus? Um, and again, I thought, that's, that's what um, I'm talking about. Uh, I'm gonna, he wrote the best line of the scene, now let me just write the rest of it. <laughs> Uh, now, do you think you're more empathetic?
1: I mean, you're sort of mining, but are, like to understand intention and obstacle, you've got
2: to actually get into the minds of people. Uh, I'm not sure if this is what you mean by empathetic or not, but um, I've written two anti-heroes. Um, in, I mean, in the midst of uh, all the romanticism and idealism, I've written two anti-heroes. One was Mark Zuckerberg. Um, uh, and the other one, let me make this sound as little like a plug uh, as I can, is in Steve Jobs, which opens October 9th, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. based on the book by Walter Isaacson. Uh, is Walter okay. your anti-hero? <laughs> Walter is my absolute hero. Um, uh, and in those cases, when when you're writing an anti-hero, uh, you can't, you, you have to have empathy. You can't judge the character. Uh, those characters I write antiheroes or even outright antagonists, like Nicholson's character uh, uh, in A Few Good Men. Y- you really want to write them like they're making their case to God why they should be allowed into heaven. Yeah.
1: Yeah. My favorite movie, present company accepted, of course, uh, is a movie called The Searchers, a John Ford movie, yeah. where, where John Wayne is a bigot uh, mm-hmm. throughout that movie, and it's an incredibly complicated uh, but very moving role, because he's trapped by circumstance. He's a He's a primitive man trapped in a semi-civilized civil society.
2: Sure. Listen, you can, in drama, get people to empathize with bigots. Um, uh, we, we saw it with All in the Family, right? We loved Archie Bunker.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, uh, uh, we loved him. And the reason why was um, uh, th- that, that Norman Lear and that team and Carol O'Connor uh, uh, did a great job making us feel sort of the life of this guy uh, who you, you know was you know had a father who was hard on him, and he's just making ends meet, and he's he's living in Queens he, to, to understand that life. Um, uh, and he also showed us a, a very nice father. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's a tough needle to thread, but uh, but you can do it in um, uh, in Twelve Angry Men. Um, by, by the very end of Twelve Angry Men. You, you kind of want to give Lee J. Cobb a, um, a, a pat, you know?
1: Yeah. Now, I have a weird question. I was at a conference, I won a cocktail party, a very bad cocktail party, where I happened to run into a fascinating guy who's a novelist. Mm-hmm. And we got to chatting, and, you know, I write little nonfiction in the newspaper, he writes novels. And he said to me, I don't know why he thought this of me, he said, Do you drink while writing? Uh, maybe that's the only way my columns made sense to him. But, uh, but I said, no. Do you drink while writing your novels? He said, no. And I, then he said to me, do you drink after writing? And I said, often. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, do you drink after writing? He said, yes, often. And I said to him, why do you drink after writing? He said, because the writing process to me is so emotional that I needed to calm down. And I said, to me, the writing process is so disciplined, I needed to loosen up. That's really interesting. Um, Which are you? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) I feel like I'm that Boston University girl right now. Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
2: uh, I don't drink, uh, um, uh, uh, so I I can't be helpful there. But but uh, as as far as the rest of the question goes, yes, I um, I I am emotional uh, uh, when I write. I'm actually very physical uh, uh, when I write too. I'm. Especially when it's going well, uh, I start acting out uh, uh, the parts. I I, I, I stop typing, um, uh, and it it, it uh, I, and I start walking around. I can find myself, you know, two streets away from my office uh, uh, um, uh, or my house uh, uh, because things are are going uh, really well. And I kind of rush back uh, and type it. It's a it's a little enervating if I've uh, uh, written well um, if i'm writing badly uh, it's the worst feeling uh uh in the world after so I'm a parent too so a- after something bad happening to my daughter this is the worst uh uh a feeling world worst feeling in the world um, uh but you do it for uh those tiny moments of uh, uh you, you know you, you you put the bat on the ball. Uh, You really connected with it. I once broke my nose uh, while I was writing. Um, (laughs) uh, I I was writing uh, an early episode of The Newsroom and uh, kind of got up in the middle of the night because I realized there's a great gag. It's sort of as old as comedy itself, but it will work uh, uh, right here. Um, And uh, I just went from my bedroom to I get, keep a little office at home, um, uh, just to write a note to myself to do this, and then those notes turned in, became a little longer, and then I started writing dialogue, I just the hell with it, and uh, opened the script, and started writing, and what it was, was a moment where Jeff Daniels, having just experienced the last straw, was going to, lunging at a staffer, uh, uh, doing one of these with somebody, holding him back, and. I was, at the moment that I was kind of doing that, I had moved from the office into the bathroom and lunged into the mirror with nobody to stop me um, uh, from doing it. It, If it had been a Scorsese movie, he would have said, let's go again, this time a little less blood. my nose was well, was plainly broken. I mean, it, 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 my face was smashed in. So I called I called a friend of mine. It was about midnight, um, uh, and she came over and said, "Oh my God, we've got to get you to the emergency room uh, uh, right now." I said, "No, no, read these
3: pages.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: just tell me if this is funny." And
1: then go. wow, I think I'm right that when Proust was dying, he was rewriting. Because he thought, oh, a death scene in, in Remembrance, he was... Like, oh, yeah, so I this don't is know
2: anything about Proust dying and what was <coughs> happening then, okay, New York Times. <laughs> okay.
3: Well,
1: when Lady Gaga was dying... Uh-huh. <laughs> Okay, uh, we're going to open it up in about 10 minutes, but uh, I've got to humiliate myself a little more. Uh, let's, go back to, let's go back to politics. Do you think liberals and conservatives enjoyed West Wing equally? Uh,
2: I mean, I have statistics that suggest they do not. Uh, but let's, I'm, I'm glad uh, uh, we've gone back to politics. And I'm glad in addition to Walter uh, Arianna Huffington uh, uh, is sitting here in the first row, um, and, yeah. uh, Again, um, uh, I do not have uh, a. Uh, I don't. I don't have a political agenda, nor am I uh, particularly politically sophisticated. Uh, what I have are great tutors uh, uh, on the West Wing, on the newsroom. Uh, I hired. Uh, people um, uh, w- who had experience in Washington, experience uh, uh, working in the White House, who were able to combine that with—they uh, kind of got a kick out of the stories uh, uh, that uh, that they were able to tell. Um, uh, so just you know, uh, someone who was able to say, uh, uh, you know, listen, on Halloween, um, the White House press corps is uh, allowed to bring their kids to the White House to trick or treat. Um, uh, uh, some would say I, I got to tell you something. The presidential motorcade moves as soon as the president uh, uh, gets into their car, and oftentimes, especially uh, on the campaign trail, uh, if an incumbent uh, is campaigning, a junior staffer will run into a store to get a postcard, to get a T-shirt, uh, or something, come out and find that they're in the middle of nowhere with no, the motorcade's gone, um, <laughs> uh, and, and they have been you know, left behind. Um, in Oklahoma, and uh, uh, so just something like that. That's uh, both of those were West Wings, um, uh, uh, and uh, and they would teach me, uh, if if only phonetically, sort of the sound of two intelligent people uh, uh, disagreeing. Yeah, but there, uh, I mean, in a, lot,
1: a lot of your movies, especially the political or other work, the um, there's an idealistic version of how it should be.
2: Yes, and again, that's not me saying, "Come on, you dummies! Why, why, why can't you be uh, as clever as I am?" Um, uh, that's just me being romantic um, and uh, and idealistic, and you know, trying to be as as good as uh, as like Frank Capra uh, I, you know, uh, was at I, it. Are you
1: compared to Capra a lot? I mean, aside from Proust, are you? Uh... I'm... <laughs> Uh, no, I, I mean, Capra has this idealism, too. Uh, uh, let, let me, me ask the I, question. I, I would never let compare me, myself to Capra, Let me say, did yes. he inspire you? Like, of, the, of the filmmakers who, were, who you grew up with? Or, or no, really as a matter of fact.
2: Um, uh, I, I, I like his movies. Uh, I, I really do. Uh, um, I, I like Mr. S- Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and It's a Wonderful Life, and, um, uh, but they don't light me up. Uh, uh, Don Quixote lights me up. Mm -hmm. The novel. Yes.
1: yes. So Uh, you're castigating me for Proust and you're getting Cervantes.
2: That's exactly right. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. Uh, Because Don Quixote uh, was turned into a Broadway musical. (laughs) Uh, And so now now I can understand it. Okay. Well, do Proust.
1: Um, now uh, so would you say like, what what's the best moment is the, is the best moment in your career is it the moment when you write it is it the moment when it's on the screen or on the stage or when the actors read it
2: at what point is the craft fulfilled um, there are a lot of good moments along the way again they're going to be way you're going to have way way more bad days than good days and you know you remind yourself that uh, a baseball player, a professional baseball player who only fails two out of three times is going to the Hall of Fame. Um, uh, you keep telling yourself that uh, the the good moments you um, uh, you 've you've written a scene well and and um, You have, uh, if there are any pool players in here, you'll know what I mean by giving yourself a leave. Um, uh, Which is to say you've written a scene well, and you've you've left off at a place where you can go to bed knowing what you're doing when when you get up tomorrow morning. That you're not gonna get up tomorrow morning uh, climbing the walls because you don't have an idea. Um, uh, That you know just what you're gonna do. You've given yourself a leave. Uh, That's a great moment. Um, uh, uh, Somebody, else reading it, somebody with fresh eyes uh, uh, coming to it. Um, I'll tell you, when Walter read the Steve Jobs screenplay and liked it, that uh, uh, was a really big deal to me. Uh, (laughs) Sitting at a table read, uh, and um, I remember my first movie table read, it was A Few Good Men was my first movie, Uh, and uh, uh, Nicholson makes that character, Colonel Jessup, makes his entrance on page 23 uh, of that screenplay. And uh, we're having a table reading. It's about 80 people uh, on on a soundstage. And Nicholson had his uh, first line. And there was just kind of an an audible gasp uh, uh, in the room because it wasn't somebody doing a Nicholson impersonation. Uh, It was Nicholson. um, And there have been uh, a number of actors that uh, that I've felt that way about. but the biggest big deal moment uh, is when somehow you know that uh, you've written something, and it's not just about writing it, because remember, there's, there's a big difference between what you and I do. You write things that are meant to be read, and I write things that are meant to be performed. Um, uh, so. It would be like a composer just writing notes and, and handing out the sheet music uh, uh, to the audience. It, it wouldn't have nearly the same emotional impact. Once everybody comes together, the actors, the director, designers, technicians, and the audience, which is a major collaborator in, in what we're going to do tonight, if it lands, yeah, and you, you can tell uh, if it does. That's a really big deal. Uh, uh, It feels fantastic. Unfortunately, the feeling is fleeting. um, And you have to do it again. Um, You cannot dine off yesterday's really good feeling. Uh, It it really doesn't last that long.
1: Now, I've asked this question of a lot of people who've done really first-class work. And I say, do you feel complete? Do you feel whatever ambition drove you, is it satisfied? And can you rest?
2: I don't know a single writer who would answer yes to that question, I'm not a, not a single one. My hero and my mentor, uh, um, uh, coming up, is a writer named William Goldman, uh, uh, who uh, he has two Academy Awards for *Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid* and *All the President's Men*. Uh, uh, he wrote *The Princess Bride*. Uh, uh, he, uh, he he wrote *Magic*. He uh, on and on. He, he's a Fantastic novelist, a fantastic screenwriter. He's also a fantastic writer of nonfiction, and I would recommend to anybody—not to be in the movie business—I would recommend to anybody a book that he wrote called *Adventures in the Screen Trade*, um, uh, which is—it's—it's it's a wonderful, wonderful read. Also, a book of his called—by uh, I, I, the way, I don't, I don't make any money when he sells books. <laughs> um, uh, a book of his called *Hype and Glory* which was about, uh, there was one year in which he was a judge at the Cannes Film Festival and the Miss America pageant uh, in the same year. And he uses that thread to actually to write about his marriage falling apart. And uh, uh, it, it's a fantastic book. Anyway, Bill Goldman um, uh, uh, found me early and, uh, and took me under uh, his wing. Uh, he's still very much a, a sort of a godfather uh, a figure for me. and. When I saw that he is was unsatisfied uh, and restless and hadn't f- didn't feel like he'd yet accomplished what he'd always wanted to accomplish, Butch casting the son-ass Kid, right, the Princess Bride, um, I thought there's no hope for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, yeah. uh, uh, you know, this is this is what drugs are for.
1: Uh, <laughs> Okay. One final line of questions, then we'll throw it open. And I should say, my right now my visibility is limited. So if somebody could, when somehow we'll have to fix that. Um, the, you talk. I'm going to get back to the moral issues. Yeah. Um, you talk about intentionality. A lot of uh, it's striking. A lot of your work takes place in the workplace. Mm, yeah. Uh, and but do you have different? Ambitions, are all ambitions just dramatically interesting? Or are there certain characters who've had ambitions that you thought were amazingly noble, that, of, of the I, repertoire of famous characters you've
3: done?
2: Yeah, I try to, uh, first of all, to, to address the first thing that you said. Yes, I love writing things that take place uh, in workplaces. There's sort of a common uh, a theme uh, uh, in the stuff that I've written, which is, it's okay to be alone in a big city if you can find family at work. Um, Uh, uh, So I I, I like workplaces, I like people who are really good at their job, no no matter what that job is, and I kind of like watching them do it. Um, To answer the second part of your question, we just have to distinguish between the fiction and the nonfiction uh, uh, that I've I've written, Um, uh, because uh, the social network wasn't really about uh, we could have a discussion about the nobility of what Zuckerberg's intention was. It just wasn't really about that. Um, uh, on the other hand, Charlie Wilson and Charlie Wilson's War, his intentions were extremely noble. Uh, his tactics were, you know, loony, um, uh, and it worked. Uh, uh, but when I'm writing fiction, I'm really mostly interested in. Uh, honorable intentions. I'm really mostly interested in the difference between not good and bad, but good and great.
1: Okay. Now, let's go... This is much talked about. I'm sure you've talked about this a thousand times. In a Zuckerberg case, he has a long-term girlfriend. In the movie, he doesn't have a girlfriend. He's driven by unrequited love or romantic longing. Listen,
2: let me figure out a way of answering this without relitigating... Of uh, 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 this, because I, I do not. That, the opening of that movie, here's, okay, here. it's <laughs> here's. It's not an accusation, it's a, it's a more philosophical y- question. Y- y- yes, no, I understand. Um, uh, but just let me tell you how I got there, which is this. What I had was Mark Zuckerberg's actual blog post um, uh, from that night, which you hear in voiceover. We do the first scene with Rooney Mara. He, uh, on the credits roll while he walks uh, uh, from that bar called the Thirsty Scholar back to his um, uh, dorm room. Uh, And then we hear in voiceover, he starts blogging. uh, And we hear in voiceover uh, 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 his blogging, which we start to mix with this party at a final club, this world that he, he wanted to be in. That voiceover, that blog post was almost verbatim uh, uh, his, his blog post, stuff that I changed or cut would not affect uh, uh, the, the, your takeaway uh, at all. And in that blog post, he, which begins, I changed the name of the girl. Um, uh, uh, it begins, this girl is a bitch. Um, uh, uh, it, it, he tells us about the thing that, I, well, I, I wanted to write the, the hour that came before uh, uh, that blog post. Whether he had a girlfriend at the moment or not, I can tell you that he had a very bad date uh, uh, with, uh, uh, with right. this girl. Um, uh, and uh, I decided that it uh, m- m- was a motivation. Right here, we'll, we'll start here.
0: Uh, William Goldman also said, Nobody knows anything, yeah. quite <laughs> famously. So when you started on West Wing, which is a tremendous success, would you talk the, about the difference between that and newsroom and dealing with executives?
2: Well, the, the, the differences are enormous. And the West Wing is, is a good nobody-knows-anything uh, uh, example uh, because at the time, uh, you couldn't do a show about Washington. You couldn't do a show about uh, uh, politics. Uh, they tried a couple of times. It just television wasn't going to come near it because uh, broadcast television, the idea is to alienate as few people as possible. Um, that's why, you know, if you look at the early days of, of broadcast television, sort of the Father Knows Best era into I Dream of Jeannie and, and, and those kinds of shows, the, the, the big hit shows, nobody, um, nobody live, lived anywhere. They all lived in Springfield. Um, uh, the uh, husband had a job, though we didn't know what it was. He was a businessman. Um, uh, sometimes he was in advertising. Uh, 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 they, they didn't have a religion, they didn't have a salary because um, uh, they had to seem just like you. Uh, okay. Television uh, has a much different relationship with its audience than movies or plays do. It's a much more intimate relationship because television comes into your home um, and it's something that you do frequently while you're flipping through a magazine, talking on the phone, putting the kids to bed, making dinner, uh, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, uh, So the West Wing wasn't supposed to uh, uh, be a hit or even get on the air. It it was a fluke that it got on the air, and here's how. Um, uh, It did not test well. They they let us make the pilot, and the pilot didn't test well. It didn't test horrendously, but it didn't test uh, uh, through the roof. Then, Warner Brothers, our studio, uh, in order to convince NBC to put it on their schedule, to order 13 episodes uh, of the show, they came up with a new testing sample that no one had tried before. Um, uh, They tried, it tested extremely well with four groups. Uh, households earning more than $75,000 a year. household where there was someone who had four years of college. Households where they uh, subscribed to the New York Times. <laughs> okay, And the fourth, and this was a huge deal, and remember the West Wing went on the air in 1999. Households where they had home internet access. And the reason why that fourth one was big, now everybody has home internet access, but not in 1999. The reason why that fourth one was such a big deal was because it was right in the middle of the dot com boom. Um, uh, and Warner Brothers was able, through, and NBC were able to show these people where they could advertise Um, uh, and if you were to go back and look at, not on DVD, but the actual broadcast episodes uh, of the West Wing, you would see that well more than half of our spots were for dot coms Um, it was dot coms and BMW uh, uh, was uh, uh, was why that show was on the air and the New York Times wow, that's a Demographic of like 16 people. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's a demographic of like 16 people, which they were able to sell like it was the number one show on television because there was nowhere else to go uh, uh, for these advertisers.
1: Are you conscious of those commercial
2: considerations when you're writing, or is that far away? It's it's not even far away. It's it's nowhere uh, uh, on my mind. I am I'm actually always uh I'm seeing for the first time when it's on the air uh uh who the buys are and um I remember uh with Studio 60 which was a show that wasn't successful um there was watching it uh uh one monday night and there was a 60 second spot for a um a super duper uh, l- uh, lubricant uh, for it, it, I just thought, who the hell is watching this show? I, 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 <laughs> what, what is our demographic? Yeah. I'm on shows uh, with a lot of hospice ads. Yes, but I want to uh, <laughs> I, I finish. The newsroom on HBO, it, it is an entirely different uh, uh, business model. HBO does not care how many people are watching Game of Thrones or The Newsroom or Girls uh, or anything like that. They don't care. Um, uh, they care how much the New York Times is writing about it, uh, or how much public acclaim it gets, because that's what gets people to buy subscriptions uh, uh, to HBO. Um, uh, You you would be surprised, actually, at how few people are watching some of the most talked about uh, uh, shows on television. And so, uh, um, I'm sure that that this, they didn't get in a room and say, gee, how can we make things great for writers? The unintended consequence uh, of this was that it's great for writers, are artists uh, of all kinds, because you no longer need to attract a giant audience uh, uh, to stay on the air. You just need to be good. Um, uh, and I'll uh, I'll take those odds. I, I will fail or succeed with uh, uh, with that metric. Other questions, right here. Yeah, um, you were, were so successful um, and had such a unique voice in a medium that didn't necessarily uh, lend itself to that. Um, when you right now, do you find yourself consciously playing into that voice or even consciously trying to avoid that voice? When it comes to the voice, I think you're talking about dialogue, uh, again, probably. If I'm consciously doing anything, I'm doing something wrong, uh, uh, probably. There needs to come a time um, uh, again, when, you're, when you've got it, when you're loaded up, when you know what this scene is about, when you know what has to happen in this scene, uh, uh, and what the problem is, there does need to come a time when you just have to let it fly. Um, uh, it, it, you're lucky to get to that point. Um, uh, and, uh, though I will admit, to this, uh, I'll become conscious of. I'll, I'll be, listen. I'll be conscious of if I just wrote a bat, If I just wrote badly, um, uh, uh, not like a parody of, you know, that we'll see from time to time. Uh, Maybe genuinely badly. Um, uh, I'll know it. Uh, I'll stop. I'll, I'll I'll be upset with myself. Um, but if I'm writing the way I write, uh, I'm okay with that. Okay, you mentioned earlier that you build plot from giving your characters obstacles. They struggle and then it ends by them ultimately reaching their goal. Was there an experience in your life that influenced you to write this way or did you adopt this writing process from your favorite writers and authors? Let me be clear, they don't have to succeed uh, in, in their goal. They can fail, um, uh, but they have to have tried as hard as they can possibly try. The intention has to be clear. Um, uh, the obstacle has to be formidable, they can fail. You won't have a happy ending, uh, but that's okay. Um, Where I got that uh, was two places. One, yeah, trying to emulate uh, my favorite writers, but the other is Aristotle. Um, In The Poetics by Aristotle, which is barely even a book, it's more like a pamphlet, it's like 64 pages uh, long. Right there... Are the instructions uh, for this is what drama is. Uh, this is what a play is. It, it also applies to movies and television. Aristotle couldn't envision such a thing, but um, uh, he tells you exactly what is required uh, of a, a protagonist, a hero, a tragic hero, an antagonist. Um, uh, he tells you exactly what is uh, required of a play, and. Uh, uh, except when it comes to bad dialogue, when you are in, are in trouble uh, when you're writing, it will almost always be because you have broken one of those rules uh, of Aristotle's. And you've got to become a diagnostician. You've got to figure out uh, uh, what you did wrong. What, what rule did I break here? Um, uh, so uh, it's that. But are, are you uh, uh, a writer?
3: I wanted to write a book, but...
2: Uh-huh, OK. because um, uh, my suggestion was just going to be, uh, uh, read people that you like um, and try to figure out why you like them. And when you see something or read something that you don't like, try to figure out why you don't like that. Be a diagnostician. Could I just ask something on the craft. Do you have a schedule? Uh, like I, I, I like, like I'm like, like seven to ten, King, seven, wake ten. up to the go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, it's gotten ugly. Uh,
1: uh, Do we have a microphone? I have a question. Okay.
2: So you talk about the writers that uh, you like and the writers that you sort of envision. Um, How much of yourself do you think has sort of, or maybe perhaps your super ego has been injected into some of the characters that you've created? I would say probably first of all, more of my father has been injected uh, uh, into the characters than uh, uh, than me. It's uh, I think that um, I, I get mistaken for uh, my characters. My characters get mistaken for me uh, uh, from time to time. Um, that if if this character said something, that I'm using them simply as a, a, a delivery system for uh, for what I want to say, uh, uh, which I don't do. But, um, you know, I told you about jumping up and down and dancing around uh, my office, playing all the characters, Um, uh, so there would be as uh, much of me in, you know, C.J. Craig uh, on the West Wing as there would be in uh, uh, Sam Seaborn.
0: This question's actually for David. Awesome. what if anything I have, do have a schedule You I do say yeah. that. That's Not my question The hell with those who don't No not my question <laughs> um, So my question is What if anything Have you learned About character From the characters That Aaron Sorkin Has written oh.
1: mm, That's a good question It's a great question uh, <laughs> um, Nothing I didn't already know uh, <laughs> Uh, now i, I am uh, uh, i'm actually I had never occurred to me that the power of the ambition and drive in all of your characters and that that uh, uh, I, I would wonder where that would come from I, I mean we know in, for all of us a lot of people in this room are reasonably successful mm-hmm. and there is some lack there that you are grown up with and you're you're striving to Com- find that completion which you say in screenwriting, and it's certainly true in journalism, is never actually fulfilled. And so the, I, 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 I do think the characters are so dynamic because of that that void they're trying to fill forever. Does that ring true? Uh,
2: it does. Um, I would say especially so uh, in Steve Jobs, which opens October ninth.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and people after that will feel. Fulfilled, won't they, after?
2: After they've seen it twice, yeah.
1: But <laughs> so I, I wish I had a better answer, but that, that's a very excellent question, which I would have to think more about. A really good answer is going to come to me in two hours. Uh, there was a question over here. One, I don't two. think you answered the question. Who do you identify personally with? Is it Jack Nicholson or Tom Cruise? Is it Farnsworth or Sarnoff? Is it in the Farnsworth uh, play? Is it... Steve Jobs, or who is it
2: that you personally want to be, if you had your choice? There's an extent to which I uh, I identify with uh, with all of them. Like I said, because I I wrote them and I wrote them. Uh, well, I use the phrase again a, a, as if they were making their case to God why they should be allowed into heaven. So uh, I I I feel very sort of uh, um, uh, close to all of them. But you know, you mentioned Farnsworth and, and Sarnoff, and probably uh, uh, not a lot of people here f- are, are familiar with that. It's, uh, I had a play on Broadway called The Farnsworth Invention, um, uh, uh, which was the, uh, the true story of a kind of epic battle that took place uh, between a young man named Philo Farnsworth, who invented television um, uh, uh, at a very young age, and David Sarnoff, uh, uh, who also at a young age was the president of RCA um, and the founder of uh, NBC and uh, sort of along with William Paley, the the founder of the idea of a broadcast network, Um, uh, really the inventor of of mass communication. But this play is a duel between Philo Farnsworth and David Sarnoff. And Scott Rudin, who is the producer of uh, uh, The Social Network, um, uh, as well as Steve Jobs um, uh, <laughs> October nine <9th>, um, <laughs> said that the reason he knew I was the guy to write the social network was that he came to an early preview of the Farnsworth invention, and in the Farnsworth invention sarnoff is the is the antagonist um, uh, he's, he He stole television from Philo Farnsworth um, uh, and Scott Rudin said that because. It was so clear that my sympathies were with Sarnoff um, uh, uh, during this, that I was just trying to convince the audience that Sarnoff wasn't such a bad guy, that I I was the person to write The Social Network. Uh, This is for Aaron Sorkin. So I'm a big fan of your work in general, but as a Silicon Valley tech guy, I've got a question for you. You seem to have a love-hate relationship with technology. And some of your work, Farnsworth, Jobs, Zuckerberg, um, very, You seem drawn to it, and then a lot of your characters on the other side in other works are sort of anti-technology or a- a-technology, and you've made some comments yourself, so f- uh-huh. for Aaron Sorkin, technology, frenemy, would you say? <laughs> okay, let's have this out once <laughs> I'm not a Luddite. Um, uh, uh, I, I get as much out of technology as uh, uh, as anybody. Uh, as you pointed out, I, I do not think there are five members of the Writers Guild who have spent more screen time romanticizing the binary system than I have. <laughs> okay, um, uh, but uh, uh, I uh, mostly my, uh, uh, my my problem isn't with technology. It's not with the apparatus. Um, uh, I, I'm uh, uh, con- slightly concerned about uh, social media um, is, is where my problem is, um, uh, uh, so it's that and um, uh, I, I've said so you know personally in, in forums like this uh, and, uh, and I've dramatized it uh, a little bit mostly on, on the newsroom um, and, uh, uh, you know, people who work in digital media uh, really responded positively uh, uh, to that. Yeah. They didn't. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, they did not like, uh, it, it. I think it felt to them like I was saying um, uh, new media is silly and old, old media isn't.
0: Most of the characters you've talked about with the exception of C.J. Craig have been males. And when it comes to talking about intentionality and obstacles and this being the driving force, do you think this is different when it comes to males and female characters? And if you think about female characters in your, in your I mean, I think of uh, Mackenzie McHale is mm-hmm. probably the most memorable one that I remember. But how do you think about those characters? And do you think about gender as influencing what they want in how you write those? Unless the scene has
2: to do with gender uh, uh, somehow, for instance, unless a romantic scene um, uh, uh, between uh, a a man and a woman. um, uh, I'm not thinking about gender at all. Um, uh, I'm I'm not thinking, uh, you know, this is how a woman would do this. This is how a woman would talk. I just think that that's a generalization. That's impossible. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm again, I'm just concerned with intention and obstacle. What does this person want? What are they going to do uh, uh, to overcome the obstacle? Um, I, and honestly, it's it, it, with, with with a few exceptions. It's mostly the casting of an actress in the part that is defining uh, uh, the gender uh, of the character. So kind of picking up on your casting reference, you, you create these characters, you act, you live these characters with, I mean, literally, you, you, their dialogue, you've got total control at that point in the creative process. Yeah. But then comes casting, mm-hmm. and then comes acting. And so how do you handle letting go? Or do you let go? Or what is the dynamic in the casting process? In I don't thing? let go. Um, <laughs> uh, but like I said, I, uh, I, I signed up for this. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd be a good novelist or not. I, I suspect not um, uh, because I don't. my powers of description uh, uh, just aren't terrific. Uh, uh, but I eagerly... Um, I, uh, you know, went, went toward a, a uh, um, method of storytelling that is collaborative uh, um, because I, I, I just think that fantastic things can happen uh, in, uh, in, in that kind of environment. So uh, I'm, I'm ready for the fact that things are going to change a little bit, um, uh, the, uh, you know, that, uh, I, that for a year um, I've been playing uh, uh, Steve Jobs and uh, and now it's Michael Fassbender and uh, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, also, that a director, in this case Danny Boyle, um, uh, has a, a vision in his head which is very much informed by uh, uh, what I put on the piece of paper, but he's not there to, to you know, just to carry out my instructions, uh, just to point the camera uh, where I've told him to. So I get excited uh, about that kind of collaboration. I really do. Okay. I'm uh, struck by uh, the deep Americanness of
1: this hour. You know, it's a country of energy and ambition. And I mean, even Walter's has in his biography of Franklin, has this discussion of how ambivalent we are about ambition. And there's the ambition of him, there's the ambition of Lincoln. But then I think through your characters, whether it's Zuckerberg, Billy Bean, Jobs, Charlie Wilson, there are people with outlandish ambitions out of proportion to what might be expected of them?
2: Yeah. Their role. Um, uh, again, I just find that very romantic. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and it all goes back to Don Quixote, um, uh, this, this guy who felt like he was living in a world that was just a little, had gone over the edge of, of, of incivility and, uh, and crudeness. And he was a scrawny old man, who was experiencing dementia, um, uh, and uh, uh, he decided that you can be a knight if you just behave like one. Yeah. And so what strikes um,
1: me, even in, in the way you've talked about your own craft, is the idealism inherent in that, and also those moments of, of transcendence when you're actually lost in your craft, where the, the, the actual perfection of the craft in those rare fleeting moments sort of justifies the ambition and completes it? Yeah, the
2: moments are rare, the moments are fleeting, but the moments are worth it. Okay. Aaron Sorkin, everybody. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you,
0: That was Aaron Sorkin and David Brooks, recorded live at the Aspen Ideas Festival on June 29, 2015. The Aspen Ideas Festival is the nation's premier gathering place for leaders from around the globe and across disciplines to engage in deep, inquisitive discussion and tackle the ideas and issues that shape our lives and challenge our times. You can discover more about the festival at our website, aspenideas.org. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast, Aspen Ideas To Go, on iTunes or other popular podcasting services. You can follow the festival at Aspen Ideas on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Trisha Johnson. Editorial Director of Public Programs at the Aspen Institute. Thank you for listening.